Well, good morning, church. Grateful to be with you here at our online service. We are continuing in our, I believe, fifth week of Romans chapter eight, one of the most wonderful chapters in all of the Bible. It said that you could spend a lifetime just uh, devouring Romans eight and it would fill and nourish our hearts and souls and we would learn and know and grow closer to God through the finished work of Jesus. And so we've seen these wonderful themes such as the grace of God, uh, we've seen these incredible themes of our eternal security that we are going to be with him forever in glory. We have doctrines of our adoption that uh, we're now sons and daughters of God because of Jesus. We learn that our citizenship is not here, that our hope is not found here uh, in the soil of even America, but our hope and our citizenship is found in heaven. And so uh, we long and we anticipate and we hope for um, the returning of Christ and for him to bring us to the place that he's preparing for us one day in glory. And it grounds us in what we're going to be looking at today, which is hope, our great hope. And so I'm going to read for us. We're going to be covering verses 18 through 25. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. The Apostle Paul says this, Romans 8 beginning in 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subject, subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. Now, uh, when Ashley was a little girl, she was about seven years old, they, their family had just moved to a, a, a new home. Uh, and her father, all growing up, owned restaurants um, and, and, and yeah, different restaurant concepts. And so he often worked late at night. And so uh, Ashley tells the story. She remembers it fondly. Uh, she was, they were watching Swiss Family Robinson uh, there with her little sister, her mom and her dad. Her dad had to get up to leave because he had to go to work um, with you know about 30 or 40 minutes left in the movie. And so he kissed his girls goodbye. He left. Um, and the movie ends, and they look around, and dad's gone. They're in a brand new house. It's like, I think, their second night there. And mom's not there either. And Ashley remembers, well, mom was sitting right here. Where'd she go? And so she's like, I know dad went to work. And so she starts calling out for mom. Uh, she, no answer. She runs into the kitchen, calls out for mom, no answer. She runs upstairs to the bedrooms, no answer. She goes into mom's room and looks, calls out for mom and no answer. And so Ashley and her little sister, seven-year-old Ashley, begin to panic. 
Uh, and they do what little girls often do when panic sets in, they begin to cry. So Ashley is sobbing, she's in a brand new house, she doesn't know where her mother is, there's no way of contacting her father, this was back in the stone ages before cell phones, and uh, they're just filled with panic, and so what does a seven-year-old little girl that doesn't know where mom is, doesn't know how to get in touch with dad do in a brand new house filled with panic and fear, uh, we do what we've been told to do, you dial 911. So Ashley calls 911, she gets the dispatch operator and she's sobbing on the phone saying, I don't know where my mom is. I don't know where my dad is. So the, the 911 operator begins to f like figure out where they live. She doesn't even remember where her, her address is yet as they've moved in. And so um, they're trying to pinpoint the location. They're, they're, she's like, okay, we're gonna be sending out a squad car. Can you remember where your home address is? She's trying to find it in the kitchen because her mother had written it down. And she's just panicked and she's crying and she's on the phone with a 911 operator in a new house and she's filled with fear. Uh, and this is when her mother turns the corner with a towel wrapped around her head because she had been in the shower. Um, and <laughs> Ashley's mother looks at her and goes, sweetie, what are you doing? And she's like, I called 911. And she just breaks down and tells the whole story. And her mother's like freaking out. So she has to get on the phone. The police come. They have to sort out all that happened. It was this big, huge ordeal. It was a mess. Um, why was, what was going on there in, this, in the mind and the heart of the seven-year-old little girl and her little sister? Why was she panicked? Why was she calling the police and the authorities was the result of the fact that she felt hopeless. I don't know where mom is. I can't get a hold of dad. I'm in a new place. I don't know what to do next. Hopeless feelings, when they come over us, um, change us profoundly. It's fear sets in, panic sets in. Not knowing what to do next sets in, right? Chuck Swindoll, great pastor and author, um, once said that a man can live 40 days without food, uh, can live three days without water, but cannot live a second without hope. Um, when we lose hope, things change quickly, rapidly. They deteriorate very, very fast. And there's a lot of things in this world um, that we cannot count on. Uh, but here Paul is reminding us of where our hope lies as believers. Uh, he's, re he's reminding us of the paramount issues that root and ground our hearts in this amazing thing that without it, we can't live a second and it's called hope. Um, Paul's reminding us of our hope in heaven, where we'll spend eternity, um, our security with him. And it's really important as we kind of look at this, we've been taking little chunks, so I just want uh, to frame it real quick with the context that's been happening here. Paul's been talking about the grace of God. He's been talking about our eternal security, meaning we know that the salvation we have will be the salvation that we will never lose. And so the last point that we made, this was last week, was all about this idea of our sonship in God, 
our adoption, as Paul said, as very children of God. That the love that we've been given by the Holy Spirit, we're now able to cry out to God as our Father. And the word it uses is Abba Father, this close word, this familiar word. It's a family term for dad or papa. And Paul has said, as we've been walking through this, we have three great sort of um, pillars of eternal security that how we know we're, we're his. First, we have the cross, our redemption by the cross and resurrection of Jesus. We have uh, this, this new reality that we're born again, right? And our life begins to change. Our desires and our affections no longer are for the things of the flesh, but they're now for the things of God. And then last week, he talked about this experiential love that we have um, because of God as sons and daughters of God. So not only does this the, the theological and the objective reality of the cross, um, not only is that ours, not only are we changed and our affections begin to change, but uh, last, week, last week we talked about our, we feel it in our everyday reality that we're children of God. And not only that, it says, but we're, we're not only sons and daughters, but we're heirs. And one of the things that a good father says to his children is this, all that I have is yours. All that I have to give, all that was mine uh, will one day be yours. Um, and that's what God the Father says to us who are found in Christ Jesus. So the glory, meaning this, the glory that is due to Jesus, resurrection glory, rule in the kingdom of God, eternal presence in the presence of the Father with him, uh, you and I as adopted sons and daughters will inherit that. And that is a wonderful, wonderful hope. That is a tremendous hope. God's presence with us forever a gospel hope. Now, in verse 17, bound up with that hope, it says this, and this is, this is, a hard, this is the hard part. Um, and many of us are living in it right now. It says that in the midst of that hope, we also suffer with him. Um, uh, we, we, it's not that we have to suffer, it's that we get to suffer with him. And that's the story of the church, if you read your New Testament. That we go through these dark wildernesses, but we don't go through it alone. We go through it with Jesus, with God. So, yes, we are secure, but now, in this present age, in this present reality, we suffer. Church, that's our heritage that's our heritage as saints now found in Christ. Um, we are granted not only to share in his glory, but Paul reminds us we are granted, that's a big word, to share in his sufferings. So here's the question. How do we navigate this journey? How do we now live in Babylon, so to speak, uh, this world that we find ourselves in, and how do we suffer well? How do we navigate this journey? The remainder of Romans chapter eight, a lot of what we're going to be looking at, 
um, is one of the most blessed in all of the New Testament because it shows us how to do that very thing. There are no commands. Um, It's simply God, our shepherd, leading his sheep with his good staff and showing us the way to go. Um, And that's for you and I. So the remainder of our time in Romans 8 is just going to be our good shepherd guiding us. And I don't know about you, but I need that. I need to hear from him. I need him to show me where to go. I need him to show me how to suffer well. I need him to remind me again and again and again of our great hope, my great hope, your great hope. So quickly, what is suffering? Elizabeth Elliot, who knows a thing or two about suffering, uh, was a missionary. She says it this way. There are basically two kinds of suffering. Having, having in your life something you do not want or not having in your life something you do want. So whatever you are suffering today, whatever you're walking through today, here's the great thing. Whether you have something in your life that you just don't want it there and it's causing you great suffering or whether you don't have something that you are begging God that you might have, um, here's the thing. In that very place, you are not alone, Romans 8 tells us. You belong to Jesus, verse 17. Um, And if you belong to him, you suffer with him. So we get to walk this path of pain now when we're following Jesus. Why? Because we know that he is worth it. So church, if you are walking through something that's difficult, and on many levels, all of us are, uh, know that he is worth it. So here's what Romans 8 means. Um, It means that we do not need trouble-free lives to be deeply spiritual men and women led by the good grace of our Lord Jesus. We don't need trouble-free lives. If your life is hard right now, um, if you find yourself in a place of suffering, then listen closely to this. Hear this, church. Hear this, friends. Uh, You are perfectly positioned for personal intimacy with God. You are in a good place. Don't run from it. Learn to suffer well. The path of pain is, can be a good place because Jesus walked it. And when you walk it, he says, you're not walking it alone. You're not an orphan. You're a son and you're a daughter of the Most High. We're in good company because we have hope. Now, we use this word hope very differently. It's not like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today because today uh, it's raining. So that was just wishful thinking. Uh, That's not the way the Bible talks about this idea of hope. Um, Hope in the way that the Bible speaks about it here in Romans 8 is this. Our hope is that Jesus Christ will most assuredly call us forth from the grave. And from this corrupted body, he will put upon us incorruption. So all the things we struggle with, death, sickness, pain, disease, sin, lust, uh, all of those things will one day be gone and he will put upon us incorruption where we once had a corrupted body. That's a great hope. Um, And we will not only that, we will be with him forever. We will reign with him and we'll be everlasting in eternity. 
That's the hope the Bible talks about. That's what you and I find our hope in. That's what we rest in. And so that's the hope of the Christian. It's the, it's the light at the end of the tunnel that will most assuredly be if you are a believer in Christ through the revealed word of God in the Bible. So let's dive into this. Verse 18, Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, so this is plural, sufferings. We may go through many sufferings. We do go through many sufferings. We go through temptation. We go through uh, the sins of the flesh. The devil tempts us. We go through intimidation. We have war. We have death. We have pain. We have disease. We have injustice. We have all of these things that, that are difficult and they cause great suffering. Paul reminds us they won't be there someday. All of those are result of sin. Viruses spreading are result of sin in this corrupted world in which we live in. So he says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time, all that we're going through, listen, are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. The glory that we shall see is when Christ appears. That's what Paul's talking about. And the Bible says that where I am, there you will be also, Christ says to us. He says he will take us to his father's house where there are many rooms. And that is our great hope in the midst of troubling times. That he is not done with us. That we walk through it and we don't walk through it alone. That we will be with him one day. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is a coming glory one day. And that is our future hope. And we cling to it now. A certain future church. That someday in the midst of this present suffering, we will be with him in glory. That's our hope. And so he states in verse 19 that this glory, catch this, is so marvelous this glory is so wonderful that even creation, all of creation, longs for it. It's so wonderful that even though you and I as Christians, we might sing about it sometimes, we might um, talk about it sometimes, it may even become repetitive and rote and we may just kind of just get in a, a rut or a routine of talking about it and it doesn't fill our hearts. We can even get tired of hearing about it. Paul says that creation never stops hoping in Christ. They never stop tiring of the fact that he is coming again one day and he is going to make right all that is wrong. He is going to make right in all the places that our government, our ideas, our great efforts can never make right. Creation is longing for the appearing of Christ. All creation. So just like, um, I was thinking about this, just like when I was a little kid, I loved Thanksgiving. Like, oh, I love Thanksgiving. And I didn't love Thanksgiving uh, just because uh, it was football and turkey and stuffing. The reason I loved Thanksgiving is because Thanksgiving, at the end of the Macy's Day Parade, when you're watching it, the very last float is always Santa Claus, right? Thanksgiving was the beginning of the mark because Christmas was coming. Uh, it was the mark of the beginning of the most wonderful time of the year, right? Right? 
And so I had this incredible anticipation. That's why I love Thanksgiving because it was the beginning of everything magical happening for me as a child. Um, Paul is Paul saying something very similar to this. And catch this, he's saying this. Paul is saying that you and I, Christian, are thanksgiving to the very creation, the rest of the created world. That when the creation sees us, the redeemed sons and daughters of God, they know something is around the corner. Christmas is coming. And creation is longing to see him come. And so they begin to see Jesus working in our lives and redeeming that which was dead and bringing life to that which was broken. And creation is thinking, I can't believe it. Christmas is coming. Look at this, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing. That's the only time that phrase is used in the Bible. It's an amazing phrase. We're going to get to it. Eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The word eager longing suggests, it's, it's like this is the word picture in the original language. It's like God has is pressing his hand down on creation like a coil spring and he's just straining to be released. And when God releases it, creation is in that straining. It's like God is pressing down on the creation and it's straining to just break forth and burst forth. It cannot wait to see God come again in Christ. Creation is longing, Romans 8 says, creation is longing for the day when we will be made royal sons and daughters again and Jesus will come and we will be with him and ruling and reigning over a new creation and a perfect world in a new way, uh, like it's meant to be. Creation itself, like it's personified here, the mountains, the ocean, the trees, they're longing for that day that they would be made new again. So it's a picture of someone like straining their necks to see, to catch a glimpse of what might be coming and nothing else around them matters. That's what Paul's describing here. It's this moment that I've observed many, many times as a pastor. And it's the moment where the groom is standing at the front of the altar and he's in his $62 tuxedo from Al's or Men's Warehouse, right? And uh, they all kind of look like penguins all lined up in a row there. And they're just, what are they doing? And so I'm standing there and here's the groom and his eyes are fixed on those doors of that church. And he is eagerly waiting for those doors to swing open because what's on the other side? His most beautiful bride in a $3,000 gown that looks stunning and magnificent and beautiful in white, his bride walking toward him for the very first time. And sometimes in those moments before the bride comes out, I'll try to make a little small talk with the groom who's standing there. So say like, hey, so, uh, you know, where are you guys going on, on the honeymoon? And it's like, Every time you try to even ask one little question, it's the groom's like, huh, what? And they, they, they can't even hear you. They're just, that's like, this is what the picture Paul's painting, eagerly anticipating. I don't care what you say, 
stop bothering me. I cannot miss this moment. They're straining. Creation is straining and longing for the appearing of the bridegroom to show his glory. Why? Verse 20. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Um, the earth that we have is not the earth that we had. Uh, if you've read the beginning of the story, Genesis, we learn that the creation was cursed. And as Paul said, was subjected to futility and sin. Creation has fallen because of sin. Yet there was hope even for creation in the garden. And creation is eagerly waiting for the appearing of its creator and its redeemer. Catch this. This kind of blows my mind as I've been studying this this week. Creation, according to Romans 8, creation, like everything around us, the trees, the air, the ocean, the mountains, everything, everything that is made uh, is Christian, according to Romans 8. It's not neutral. According to Romans 8, everything that is made is Christian. Why? Because it knows that Jesus is one day coming back and it, they, it's personified here. Creation is longing for his redeemer to return. Um, the Bible talks about it in this way. It says in the day of Christ, talks, talks about when Jesus does come back. Here's what creation does. It says the trees will clap with joy. Uh, and it says the mountains will sing forth in song. Even the creation is longing for a redeemer to come again. Do you long for him as well? Are you eagerly anticipating Jesus, the only one that can right all the wrongs, the only way that can redeem sin and brokenness, the only one that can bring life that is that what is in front of us is just death. Creation longs for him in that way. Verse 21. That the creation itself, this is what they want to, this is what they're hoping for that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Here's something amazing. You and I are seen as first fruits of redemption by the whole created world. We're the thanksgiving to Christmas. Um, we are the anticipation to all the created realm that Jesus is coming again in glory and in power. So as creation looks at us, they see that someday all creation will be redeemed and they're just begging for that to happen begging for that to happen. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he came in among us 
And he was not the one responsible for the mess that we find ourselves in. Sin, disease, rebellion. Yet we blamed the whole thing on him. We pinned it on him. And we nailed him to a cross and he took it. And it sank him all the way down to death. And yet he rose up with all the power of life and he won't stop until the entire universe is renewed. So church, that's the story of redemption in the scriptures. He's worth everything. There's no one like him. And someday, thanks to Romans 8, Jesus, thanks to Romans 8, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to bring all the things that he promises. And so it's like creation is like this great big bottle of champagne, if you will. And it's the cork is just ready to explode uh, and God's hand is on top of it. And once he removes it, it's just bam, right? The whole universe is going to explode with this joy that lasts forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And scripture says, if we're found in Christ, we are going to be there as sure as you and I are sitting right here today. And that day, trees will clap with joy and the mountains will sing forth of his glory. Our hope is secure, our hope is great, our hope is real, our hope is huge, our hope is in Jesus, the cross, the new life, our adoption as sons and daughters. Do you have that hope today? If you don't, he is ready to give it to you. All you have to do is bring the empty hands of faith and he fills you with life and glory and hope. Would you get it today if you don't have it? Would you worship him today if you know it? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these amazing, lofty, huge realities that we are wrapped up in because of Jesus. We praise you for it. Lord, may it never become rote. May it never become routine. May we join in with all of creation in an eager longing for you to come and make right that which is wrong. Only you can do it. You are our great hope. We trust in you. I pray for those that may not know it. God, would they cling to you? Would they come to you? Would they, would they realize that they have to bring nothing but in you, Jesus, you give us everything. So we thank you for the cross. In Christ's name we pray, amen.